We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 518 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and with one of the more duller international breaks in recent memory, news-wise, is why you haven't heard from me in almost a week. And I don't think that's a bad thing, by the way, either, about things going slow for once in a while around here. But to help me get us a little excited for the return of the Liga action this weekend is none other than Rory Barlow. Welcome back to the show, Rory. Yeah, delighted to be back on, Dan. Thank you for having me. And uh, yes, football is sorely lacking in slow moments right now. I'm sure we'll be back to uh, sprint pace when uh, La Liga comes back. I say that, but a few hours from when we're recording this, Brazil meets Uruguay. And so when I say action, I mean domestic action for those who really only care about domestic football. But of course, international stuff is constantly going. There's still more miles and more miles on the players' legs anyway. And so they're still playing football. It's a matter of La Liga fans are watching it. But as I said, today we are talking about a number of different topics around La Liga. I guess some would say La Liga surprises. I think that would be the theme of today's show, if you want to call them that. And usually Kool-Aid's, they really only want to talk about Barcelona. But having got a good idea of the transfer budget for the next season or two for the Bograna, maybe looking at other Liga teams might be the right idea in terms of who Barcelona might be able to get in the coming summer or January winter or anything like that, if other than Vita Roque is an option. So we're going to jump around a little bit from team to team, but we will start with Barcelona, of course. Now, there are two Barcelonas right now, Rory. There's the one with the few healthy players left that exists in the reality that we live in, <laughs> Xavi has to deal with. And then there's the hypothetical one with all the players currently healthy. Well, as in, sorry, not currently, but in theory, all of them healthy and nobody else gets hurt. So for that injury update here, DeYoung likely back at the beginning of November after El Clasico. Rafinha should be back in time for El Clasico or before. Pedri will not play against Athletic Club this weekend, but could be available off the bench against Shakhtar Donetsk. Kunde probably out until mid-November at least, so missing El Clasico, and he will likely be the last player back. And then Lewandowski could be back in time for El Clasico. He is healing well ahead of schedule, but if he's on schedule, then he won't make it back in time. Barcelona right now sits on 21 points in third place after nine match days. Atleti on fourth with 19 points, but a game in hand. Girona has 22 points, and Real Madrid have 24 points. More injuries, as I said, could occur for Barcelona, but in theory, everyone would be healthy by November 12th against Alaves. Until then, it's Athletic Club, Shakhtar Donetsk, Real Madrid, Real Sociedad, Shakhtar again, and Alaves before another break. My first question for you, Rory, is one of the hardest I think I'll ask you of this show. Where do you think Barca should be happy getting from this stretch? and all of those injuries. I think if Xavi can make it to the next international break with a three-point gap to Real Madrid, he should be perfectly happy because, I mean, we know this Barcelona side doesn't necessarily have masses of strength and depth anyway. And so when that gets tested, and particularly when you have kind of a tough run of games and the toughest being El Clasico, then you really need to just kind of go through it and, and get through it unscathed, as unscathed as possible. I mean... Atletico Madrid and Real Madrid have had these injuries too. They've been they've been suffering as well, and so Barcelona it's going to be a test of kind of their their gamble in essence because we saw Eric Garcia, Clement Lenglet, and and uh, Antu Fati, and kind of the rest of the Barcelona players that were moved out towards the end of that transfer window to bring in Joao Felix and Joao Cancelo. Now that Joao Felix and Joao Cancelo are here, as as you say, there's that kind of mystical 
fully fit Barcelona that uh, exists with them starting and, and fully and healthy and fit. And that looks great. But when those players aren't there and when Joao Felix or Joao Cancelo can't rest, yeah, how does this Barcelona side look? And that this is where Xavi is going to have to really earn his money and earn Deco his money as well and, and see how, how things play out there. I mean, how heartbreaking was it to see when Jules Koundé frustratingly had to sub out in the last match and then Ron Araujo comes on for him? And it really legitimately was. Ron Araujo had already, yes, he had come back, but he hadn't wasn't starting that match because he's not even fully match fit yet. So for Araujo to come back in, now that question that I kept asking and saying, well, between Christensen, who's playing like a starter, Araujo and Koundé, and the three of them, you have three players who deserve to, spot, to start in two spots in this hypothetical, again, world where Cancelo is your right back and Araujo is the right back to, to, well, sorry, the right center back to defend for him. And then you have Balde on the left. So in that world, only two of Christensen, Kunde, and Araujo start. And Kunde has also arguably been Barca's best player along with, I, I you say, De Young and Gabi. And we'll get to Gabi in a second. But that question of Xavi's headache, if you will, has never been a headache because Araujo got hurt right out of the gate. Christensen has, has had little injuries all season long. And now Kunde is out for an excited amount of time. So now you're, you're really looking at December before, in theory, all three were healthy for the first time this season, which, yeah, says a lot about Barcelona's injury troubles. But to that point, too, going back to the Porto game, I know it was ugly. I know people are frustrated, but I want to remind all those Kool-Aids out there that Shakhtar <laughs> this season just fired their coach even. They brought somebody new in. So this is not the same Shakhtar Donetsk even who, yes, they're more capable of upsets, I guess, of the Champions League, but they're at maybe their lowest point for the team that even qualified for the Champions League earlier in the summertime and last year in the Ukrainian First Division. So for Shakhtar Donetsk, you got to just take care of business here. That win against Porto in Portugal was huge. And that win, by the way, with how, we'll say, weak the group is compared to what Barca have had in recent seasons, that win against Porto was the equivalent of beating Bayern Munich in Germany last year. I know it sounds crazy. It's not because the teams are the same. <laughs> but in terms of first in your group, that win against Porto was the same thing as beating Bayern Munich last year in Germany. And then think of Shakhtar Donetsk because they already beat Royal Antwerp. Think of them as Inter Milan. So now if you go and you get even one win and a draw out of this, you can still win the group. That is the gift that Barcelona was given this year. So hopefully you win this injuries. Again, this is last year. I'm throwing the white flag up. But already I'm saying, all right, Champions League. And to your point in the Liga, that's the focus there. Three points behind Real Madrid. Yeah, maybe you drop one more point here. But yeah, a draw in El Clasico. I'm going to preview a Clasico more later, but yes, I agree with you. Even a draw in El Clasico, and you're like, okay, fine. You survived this injury crisis, and you got out that, and then you try to take your business, and, and we're going to do, let's do, you want to do, how about we do Xavi, then Real Madrid? I mean, Gavi. Yeah, cool. Gavi, Gavi. So, sounds good, sounds good. And just to that point as well, you're talking about kind of uh, getting through this spell. Look at last season. I mean, Real Madrid were on fire for the first kind of two, three months of the season. They didn't drop a point until about three, four games before the World Cup. And it looked as if Barcelona were going to be left behind, but Xavi and Barcelona did manage to kind of stem the flow. They, they did get beaten in El Clasico, but it was five points when they got, or less than that, I think it was three points when they got to the World Cup eventually. And so that was where Xavi was able to kind of rest players and then get back into the second half of the season, get a bit more rhythm, have all of his players back. And so, so yeah, these are stages of the season that need to be negotiated and you just need to kind of hang on basically while the rest of your rivals are doing well. And then when you kind of get up ahead of steam as well, then you can start kind of thinking about pretty football and, and <laughs> scoring lots of goals. Well, the last three seasons now, Barcelona have done better in the second half by far. The Koeman, then Xavi coming in, then Xavi last season even. The spring has been better than the fall in the last three seasons. Now, of course, the year before that with Kike Setien, you're talking about a different thing. Even Vanessa <laughs> Valverde in the two years before that, Valverde's teams were better in the fall than they were in the spring. So this team that Xavi's built seems to be a team that does build up throughout the season. And that happens when you have a lot of young players as well that you're incorporating. Speaking of young players, I guess you want to call him a Barcelona veteran. I don't know. He's in his third season in <laughs> Gabi, who I want to talk about with you, because I've gone off on, on Gabi quite a bit here. If we're keeping the theme of a Liga surprises, I think Gabi actually has been the, the Liga surprise. I know he won the Copa Trophy, was holding that. But yet, I think the Copa, Copa Trophy was a reward for the young player of 18 that he was. And you're saying, wow, this kid really, this had great potential. He's showing that he can be and, and fits in a, one of the, the bigger names in, in world football. But it's starting to add up, just like Pedri. Like those numbers are adding up. Now 100 plus matches for Barcelona, 25 matches for Spain at the age of 19, scored against Norway in that 
the, the one goal that was scored in that game, sending Spain back to the Euros. So at the age of 19 years and, 20, and 67 days, Gavi is the youngest player in history to reach 25 games for Spain. And so I'll ask you as a neutral, I've said as a Kool-Aid, I am surprised that, that Gabi, in the absence, I think, of Pedri, I don't know if this happens if Pedri is available, but in the absence of Pedri, Gabi has, has become one of Barcelona's best players. Almost where, just like Pedri, I don't need to say the number anymore, his age. His, his age is kind of irrelevant. <laughs> this is just one of the best midfielders that Barcelona has and certainly one of the best midfielders in Spain. Yeah, Gavi, I mean, like you say, he reached 25 games for Spain before anyone else. For context, Sergio Ramos had three appearances at that age and he started young. He'd moved to Real Madrid by the time he was 19 or so. And Iker Casillas, I think, was on two. And that's the two leading appearance makers for Spain with, what, 180 caps for Sergio Ramos? I forget what Casillas is, about 168, I believe. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that shows you the kind of ridiculous pace that Gabby's on and and with injuries as well it, it's a nervousness that is a uh, accompanies every cooler now I think because you look at the likes of De Jong who's been reliable fitness wise for almost all of his career and then he goes down with an injury because he's playing so much because so much of the pressure for him to kind of break lines is is on him and and you just hope that Gabby can kind of be rested or managed or, or manage himself as much as anything else but but onto his actual gameplay it's benefited him so much, I think, the the injuries and the fact that he's able to play now with the game in front of him rather than being that player that is asked to go and receive it between the lines. Basically do what Joao Felix is doing now for Barcelona. It benefits Gavi so much more that he can now play with the game in front of him. And I think Iniesta was a little bit special in the way that he managed to do that. And it's something that Pedri, I think, has to his game as well. Perhaps not, well, obviously not as developed as Iniesta was um, in the latter stages of his career. But... You look at the likes of Xavi and Iniesta, certainly early in their careers, they were playing with the game in front of them as well. And I think nowadays with more packed defences, with Barcelona probably playing higher up in terms of territory than they used to before Guardiola, we ask a lot of these midfielders to kind of be these basically number 10s in between the defence and the midfield all the time now. And a lot of these midfielders don't come through that way. They come through being kind of eights, basically, being those midfielders that like to get forward, but are also kind of, yeah, that they're not necessarily playing with their back to goal. And I think you've seen that from Gabby, the fact that he's able to to yeah, move forwards as opposed to always kind of coming towards the ball or trying to kind of play on the half turn and not necessarily sure that's all of his game or the best part of his game. So, so yeah, it's been a joy to watch him this season. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano. Or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. <coughs> Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention, 
Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. I mean, he has been rivaled with young players around the league because I want to talk now about some of the other big stories around Spanish football in the first two months of the season. And you go regional, uh, immediately to the rivals of Barcelona and in Jude Bellingham and Real Madrid. One loss of the season came against Atletico Madrid, but they have since rebounded from that loss with wind over Las Palmas, a Girona 3-0, which I think was kind of a statement, believe it or not, a beating Napoli 3-2 in the Champions League, which was a big win, and then beating Osasuna 4-0 before the break. So they have grabbed some results late as well. That's the negative, but Jude Bellingham has seven goals in eight Liga matches. Last year, it was seven goals in 31 matches for Dortmund. So, I mean, the best version of his career, he's still just 20 as well. But it does get you wondering, and again, this is the Barcelona podcast, but I, I do obviously wonder who the real Real Madrid is. You talked about last year as well. I mean, there are many hills and valleys in a long domestic La Liga campaign, which is always the reason why I think Kules believe that La Liga titles are much more attainable for Barcelona than even Champions League trophies against Real Madrid. But the question would be then, is this sustainable for Bellingham coupled with Madrid getting better around him and kind of meeting him at the top of the table? Or is it fortune shining on Real Madrid right now, getting those 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 late results and finding a way to win? But those results that, let's say, they're not fully earning for the full 90 minutes, that those might catch up to them the way they did last season. Who do you think is more of like the real Real Madrid? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's you sort of project, uh, we project a lot in football as to what's going to happen when X player is fit or when they have this in place, that kind of thing. And Bellingham... I mean, his start's just been incredible. I've never seen anyone, Real Madrid, Barcelona, anyone arrive at a club and be this good from the off. I mean, he's been he's he's the best player in the league in La Liga this mm-hmm. season for me, hands down. There's no no kind of question about that. The fact that he's handled the pressure, not not even just that he's handled the pressure from the fans, from the media, so on. It's the fact that Real Madrid's kind of star-studded lineup, including veterans of five, six Champions Leagues have looked at Bellingham and gone, yeah, that's fine. Let's build around him. Let's sacrifice some of our other players and go for the Bellingham kind of full experience, if if that makes sense. Can I, I want to hide behind your unbiased nature for a second here from the Kool-Aid <laughs> that are about to be thrown at me. I mean, I think I would argue that the last time a player has arrived to a new club, so I'm not talking about a debut season for a player come from your academy, but yes, to arrive in the Liga, I think the answer might be R9 for Barcelona when he won, right? Like winning the Ballon d'Or when he was mm-hmm. 19 years old. I, I think that, I mean, that's what you're talking about. Like you're leading, he's leading the Liga goal scoring. He's on, whether they deserve it or not, he's on the first place team in the Liga table at this moment. And you're right. He's very much been the best player in the Liga. And here's the big, the big difference. This is the middle of October. So yeah. I'm saying R9 now, a month and a half, two months into the season, if he continues on this trajectory, he's probably going to win the Ballon d'Or, to be honest with you. Like, Jude Bellingham would win the Ballon d'Or if he played like this at this clip all season long. And I, that, that's going to happen. But if it's, again, two months. So for he's, he's got seven more months to be, <laughs> to, to be that R9 comparison. <laughs> I'm saying very cautiously, again, with you, using you as a shield, that Ronaldo was the last time you had a player, 19, 20 years old, arrive to a new club in Spain fresh face and and do this kind of thing yeah and and yeah i think for for coolers they can in theory relax because it would just be unprecedented ronaldo perhaps the only precedent that you can kind of bring up in terms of if he could keep this going if if he keeps this going i think it's almost it's difficult to see another team 
winning the league. But again, yeah, we're talking about kind of a, a once in every kind of 20, 30 years season mm-hmm. if that does happen. So, so yeah, and I think towards that kind of project, projection kind of thing and how does this shape out in terms of the title race, I'd say it's difficult for Bellingham to keep this up, but also they've been missing Vinicius for the month. Also, Rodrigo scored one goal in 11 games this season. That surely is going to have to improve. And granted, Hosselu is taking some of his minutes and, and using them well and scoring goals. But uh, but yeah, Real Madrid, that was again also the theory last season was that they were kind of getting results. They were gliding through it. They were just kind of finding ways to win. Fede Valverde was popping up with crazy goals from left, right and centre. And the projection was that after the World Cup, once they're a bit more settled, that they improve and their gameplay improves. But Benzema never quite kind of got fit. And then the the lineup never got settled. Vinicius had an injury. These things do happen. And so can we project on to Real Madrid becoming a more complete team? It's not necessarily a sure thing. Even if you look at those players and you look at kind of the performances that they've been putting in, the fact that they're still without Militao and Courtois as well, two of their best players, and still getting these results. I think there's a there's a good argument to say that Ancelotti might improve their gameplay in the next kind of three, four months, but they might actually drop more points. Yeah, certainly. There's a narrative, right, with Ancelotti. I know he's been pretty coy about leaving for Brazil and that job, but it's true. I, mean, I think that it's reported, unreported stuff that we know that that's where he's going to go, and this is likely his last year at Real Madrid. And so certainly a narrative can very quickly switch. If they drop a bunch of points and all of a sudden, while well, their coach is going, and unlike Barcelona, who are expected to get their players back, Courtois and Militar are out for the season. So it's, I mean, Bellingham can cool off just for a little bit, and then, Barcelona, and then Real Madrid, rather, are dropping points. And there certainly are ways for this narrative to go sideways for them, but you're right. I mean, what they've done so far feels unsustainable, but also it is Real Madrid, and they have really talented <laughs> players, right? We haven't seen the best of Modric and, and Cruz, and, but even beyond those two, that Chuamani is much more this season the player that I expected him to be, him to be even last year. So there are things that are, that are working to their favor. But the team I want to talk about next isn't Real Madrid or Barcelona, but it's the team in second right now in the Liga table, and that's Girona. So I've been so excited to talk about them. We haven't really had a moment, or it hasn't come up yet. Barcelona do have them in about a month's time. So I was concerned about them heading in when I did my league of preview stuff. Not that they would get relegated. I didn't think they get relegated, but 10th last season seemed fair to what they were last year. But I was nervous that losing Castellanos, that being Valentin Castellanos and Oro Romeo in particular would throw everything off because they were pretty devout to like the 11 to 13 players they played because they didn't have any European stuff. They didn't have anything else to worry about. So they were just playing the Liga very much like they are even this year, which is I think why they're in second. Sure. But I wasn't also listening, I guess, to Michel because he's been keeping it simple and he's actually been pretty honest about what he's told the players and how he's gone about this system. He said, and this is a quote from him, two touches minimum, go forward two meters, pass it, get your body shape right to receive and go forward. It seems simple, but Jonah, the best team with the ball in the league of this season, I don't want to hear numbers. I'm talking about the eye test and they have given us a number of talking points here to latch onto. And I'm going to give you I'm going to give you a little buffet here and you can pick and choose what you want from it. But, you know, I was worried, as I said, about that the Frankie de Young-esque role that Alex Garcia played last season, that he would struggle without Romeo, without an actual pivot in the way that Frankie de Young, I think, you know, has, has raised his game. But there's a world where without Busquets, he would have suffered as well. But he has raised his game and so has Alex Garcia because he has dropped, that being Michel, Alex Garcia to the pivot. Or he plays Angel Herrera next to him as kind of the guy that cleans everything up as a, an actual destroyer, eight or six, if you will. And it's all worked out. And then on the left wing, you have Savio, the 19-year-old left winger, has two goals, four assists, creates a lot of danger. And you see the memes about these left, you know, modern-day wingers, how they take, if they can't take him on, they pass it back. But Savio's not afraid of that. He's 19. He's just go, 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 which is, I guess, the way that people wanted it 15, 20 years ago. Then you have Daly Blind and Eric Garcia. They seem to be the sec- the center back pairing right now. And did you see that combination in 2023 being one of the best in the Liga? Eric Garcia <laughs> and Daly Blind. And then you have Pablo Torre moving to Girona. Seemed really smart for the 20-year-old at the time, but he's not playing much because Girona are really good in the second place and they got their system. And then, as I always mention here when I talk about Girona, I mentioned the other options for right back for Barcelona in the future. Vanderson from Monaco, Deco likes, Hector Fort from the Academy, Julian Araujo back from his loan at Las Palmas potentially. But I'm still looking at Arnaud Martinez and saying, that's the guy. That's the guy, the right back of the future in Spain that impressed me the most. But I've also dug my heels in so hard on, on Arnaud Martinez for two and a half years that I can't dig myself back out. So I'm in trouble if he ever <laughs> winds up as good and Jordan is his level. 
But at the moment, Jordan is a pretty good level to be at. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned a buffet there, and generally you kind of walk into a buffet and you kind of expect the quality to be a bit lower in exchange for the kind of all-you-can-eat side of it. But Girona, the quality is not lower. It's full of delight. It's delicious. And, oh, no, and I've, yeah, done, so that, I've done buffet sushi. I want to say I was younger, but I was too. I was old enough to know better. <laughs> and not, definitely not buffet sushi. I agree. Yeah, no, I, I, it's a, a rare find where the buffet maintains its quality through and. And yeah, Savio, I think, is perhaps the best place to start in terms of kind of surprises because he came from nowhere. I mean, he was playing for PSV's kind of B team last season on loan from Tra, who apparently didn't consider him good enough for their first team either. And Michel has taken him, given him a bit of confidence and said, yeah, go after these players. I think he's eased off just a touch in the last two, three games since that Real Madrid game, basically. But I think that's actually good for them because... It's good for him to to struggle to get used to defenders adjusting to him and, and have a, a few kind of down weeks and maybe just calm the media hype about him just a little bit because because it was getting getting very high. And then you look at Arno Martinez and he's been kept outside by Jan Couto, who's going to be starting at right back for Brazil probably against Uruguay this evening. And and yeah, it's, it's incredible what Mich has done. The fact that they haven't really missed a beat with without Oriol Romeu. I said Oriol Romeu about I want to say April last year. I said I tweeted out I think Oriol Romeu is is too sensible for Barcelona. Barcelona will never sign him because he's too sensible. But I think he'd do quite a good job. I think he is still going to do a good job for Barcelona. I also tweeted about a week later that Michel Sanchez similarly too sensible for Barcelona. But I think he'd do quite a good job for Barcelona one day if down the line um, they can they can yeah pull their head out of a kind of star name. But but yeah, I think Girona, they've just been fantastic to watch. I think they're the team that's playing the closest football to total football to the Cruyff style that uh, Barcelona fans really love. And and the way that they just rotate positions, Daily Blint, Eric Garcia, they're so comfortable on the ball. The fact that uh, Miguel Gutierrez, who's a Real Madrid left-back, come out of the kind of youth system, always been kind of that player to go beyond and get to the byline. He's been basically playing in central midfield for the last few weeks. And and yeah, it's been a joy to watch. It's refreshing. It's good to see a manager, again, dealing with resources that maybe aren't kind of at the top end of the table, but being brave, being daring, giving Savio that confidence. And, and yeah, long may it continue. Well, yeah, let me give you some con- more context about the Savio move. So Torre in, in France it is kind of used as this kind of loney shell company for City Group. I've noticed that Girona is the better side. And so they do send the players with, we'll say, the higher ceilings that, in theory, they're on the books of Torre, but they're then sent to Girona. Again, that is just a, an accounting City Group, not say trick, but that is something that they're utilizing. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So so not I, I'm not saying that, that everything is above board, nothing nefarious, but again, when you have a... a one group that that owns multiple clubs around the world. So yes, Savio, and I would feel the same thing about any Girona player. Like I always say, don't really fall in love with any Girona player that is owned by Girona because they are owned by Citigroup. And therefore, I mean, they A, are expected to make a pretty penny for Citigroup or B, that if they're good enough, then they're eventually going to wind up with Pep Guardiola and his side in, in Man City. So those are kind of the options for the the, the high quality players. So Barcelona, again, I, I, I know the left wing feels like a, a glaring hole for Barcelona, but Savio, I, I, I'd say there's a very small, small chance that he would fill that hole before he does for, for Man City. And then Barcelona are, playing, are paying 55 to $65 million for a, a cast off of Man City, but <laughs> they've never done that before. I can't think of a single 55 million euro deal. <laughs> for Man City. But, all right, let's keep moving. Las Palmas here in 10th in the Liga on 11 points. So I think a little overachieving, even with the squad they had. I thought that they would avoid relegation, but I thought they would be in that fight. And I don't know what I'm talking about because I had Raya Valcano as one of the three teams to get relegated. I thought their off-field stuff was bad enough, but they've been just fine. And I should have just trusted my gut and, and looked at the talent. But Los Palmas, I thought their talent would be down there, maybe not relegated. But they have reminded you with they, what they've done in Liga with the ball. They've been unafraid to be, again, to have the ball. And they tried to do some things with it. And that has worked to their favor. And that's, I think, one of the lessons that Girona from last season even taught you in the Liga, that if you have enough, enough quality, not too much, <laughs> just enough, and you're able to do something with the ball in the Liga and you stick to your game plan, you know, I, I think other teams kind of against Barcelona Real Madrid, they get in their shell, but against uh, Las Palmas, I think teams have been caught so far, not being willing to 
say, okay, you guys are better with the ball than us, so we're going to get in our shell and stay in our shell. I think teams have tried to get out of their shell and kind of poke their head out, and Las Palmas have, have put them to the sword for that and said, okay, well, if you don't, if you don't respect us as a team who's better than you on the ball, then we're going to take advantage. And I think that's kind of been Los Palmas' game plan so far. But even surprisingly, I think they've been better defensively than expected, whether that was Julian Araujo or Mika Marmol or even some of the guys that have been around uh, a while, um, Albert Lemos. Like, those names that have been around Los Palmas for a long time have been kind of better than expected. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about future potential Barcelona managers, Garcia Pimienta is another one who I think is doing a brilliant job. For a while, it looks there, kind of the first five, six games, they were without a win. And it looks like they were just going to be stuck in this purgatory where they couldn't find the goals. I mean, they, they'd only scored one open play goal in, until about match day seven or something. They are lacking a striker. They're dreadfully lacking a striker, but everything else is functioning really, really well. Jonathan Vieira's the creative presence that he's always been. Julian Araujo, you've, you've mentioned there. He's he's been surprisingly. I've been pleasantly surprised. I had my doubts, but he's been he's been good so far. Um, and and Las Palmas are, are one of those teams that they'll you think they'll probably be okay as long as they can just find enough goals because they're keeping clean sheets. They're doing they're doing all right in terms of kind of the, their risk taking. They're taking risks in the right areas. Even the likes of kind of a very well coached side like Real Sociedad, who are kind of the 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 image on the wall for every kind of well-coached side or well-developed team. Imanol Aguathil's side struggled to really wrestle the ball off them. And so that just tells you how much confidence they're playing with as well. And even if it's perhaps just lacking a little bit of spark, Las Palmas have been brilliant compared to their expectations so far. And 11 points, I think it is so far, that's absolutely dynamite for them. Yeah, that that, that attacking core here between Munir plays on the wing, but that center forward spot, Mark Cardona, former Barcelona player. I had mentioned Sandra Ramirez, former Barcelona player, and even Sori Caba, who came over from, uh, was it was it Carlton, I think? Or no, he came from Denmark, um, Middleland. So it just, it's just not of the level. You know, Cardona's a, a Segunda division striker. You know, again, former Barcelona player, but Segunda division striker. Sandra Ramirez, at this point in his career, is a relegation team striker. Munir, unfortunately, I think is continue to go down the pecking order in terms of, uh, of what he is as a player. Now he's in his mid twenties. So yeah, in January, I mean, goals are hard to come by, especially when you don't have any money like Los Palmas. So um, unfortunately they don't have anybody come from their Academy, but if they can get somebody on loan that just kind of needs a new location and they're middle of the table still in the Liga, maybe you get somebody to from the championship or from Serie A or even the Liga. Otherwise mm-hmm. want to kind of reinvigorate their career. Certainly. I think that's, that's the move for them there too. And then they have that, that French midfielder Enzo, uh, Loyadish, he has been he has been really fun and really good, and I think he is not long for the Liga. I think he's gonna. I mean, I think he's already been linked with PSG and West Ham, that kind of level around. Not say PSG and West Ham are comparable, but you get my point. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right, so let's bounce around here a little with some of the movers and shakers, some of the other names. Takafusa Kubo, again a, Barca, a Barcelona player that people would know from the past. We also see a dad still just twenty two though, has five goals in eight games. Alvaro Morata has five goals in seven games for Atletico Madrid. Brian Zaragoza, five goals from nine games for Granada. Also introduced himself to Kool-Aid in the last match day. And then Josuelo from Madrid and Lewandowski both on five as well. So that whole group is second in La Liga in goals behind Bellingham's eight. Now, Kubo Morata, who is just 30, which is insane to me. Like my, my brain is <laughs> with the idea that Alvaro Morata is uh is still so much younger, is younger than me and 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 still just 30. And then Zaragoza is 22 as well. Those are all really interesting names for entirely different reasons. It does feel like Kubo is ascending. It uh, I mean, really ascending. It feels like Morata is kind of like returned, like a ghost of you know, of a of a legal path. And then Zaragoza isn't even rising. He is really the new. Yeah, the, the new fun face in the league, if you will. Absolutely, yeah. Morata, he's, he's Benjamin Button of a player, like you say, and he it's sort of, you, you're still kind of a little bit lacking in faith because he's been so good so far. He's been clinical, especially in the Champions League as well. He's been really good for that Letty, and yet part of you just never quite has that faith when he gets in front of goal. And for that Letty, I mean, long may it last for them, the fact that Morata is putting away these chances. And if he does... They've got a shot at the La Liga title as well because it's always been their kind of big issue is that they have Griezmann, they have kind of these creative players, but nobody to really put it away since Luis Suarez had his kind of debut season. Um, and before that, even, they were lacking in a striker for quite some time. 
Brent Tadakosa. I saw him live for Spain against Scotland um, mm-hmm. last week. And yeah, he's just, he's brimming with confidence and he's been good all season. He's been creative, but right now he's on top of the world. He thinks he can do anything. And when you get a winger who's who's quick, who's jinky, who's got uh, a kind of turn of pace and, and a sort of slight of touch, that's, that's a nightmare for a defender because they'll try anything, they'll do anything, they'll go whichever way they feel. And and yeah, those kind of top goal scorers in La Liga, I think it is a really good mix. Take Kubo as well, one I saw at the Bernabeu. Obviously, they beat Real Sociedad, Real Madrid did 2-1 in that game, but Take Kubo had an absolute wonder goal disallowed. And for me, I left the Bernabeu thinking about that first 45 minutes from Kubo more than anything else that happened in that game. I think... If he's still at Real Sociedad next season, they'll be pretty happy with that because right now he he's amongst that kind of top tier of players in, in La Liga for me. Well, I do find it interesting too that the one team at Atletico Madrid that, that really kind of shut down Bellingham and Kubo, you know, they've kind of been a difficult recipe to deal with for all teams this year. But Atletico Madrid, that's why I still do kind of see them. Again, they have a game in hand to take more points in Barcelona through the, the nine match days. And they are kind of still that La Liga dark horse. I know it sounds stupid to say a team that have won La Liga in the last, you know, 12 years to call them a dark horse to win the title. But with Real Madrid and Barcelona having brought in talent, yes. But again, there's a lot of reasons why I could tell you why those two teams won't win La Liga, even more so than just saying, well, because Real Madrid and Barcelona, one of them has to win the Liga, right? And then you could say, well, Girona, they can't win the Liga. Could they possibly know? And it feels completely foreign and impossible. But Atletico Madrid are still kind of, again, those sleeping giants if they can pick up, they already picked up their points against Real Madrid. And it is those three point swings and six point swings that do decide the Liga when it's, it's all a game of math. And so, and that win against Real Madrid was, was gigantic for them. And then losing one, nothing with Barcelona was also huge for Barcelona, you know, just getting that those mm. points against Real Madrid too. Another young player I want to mention real quick is Javi Guerrera for Valencia for financial reasons. I mean, and <laughs> financial reasons is so nice to them. <laughs> That's just, <laughs> Kind. That's kind to um to President Kim and things. But they've had to bank on youth this season because I'm gonna just say mismanagement for financial reasons. And Guerra has been better than advertised, though. He is one of those examples where because Valencia is a not even quote unquote, but they're a big team with big history in the in the 21st century in the Liga. So you do say, hey, they do have one of the better youth academies in the Liga. They do produce a lot of talent. Baron Torres is, I mean, one of the ones we know, of course. So they do produce La Liga team uh players around the league. And you do kind of expect some to come out of their academy every few seasons. And so I do think it was one of those where when I first heard, I think it was he was 17, 18, maybe three, three years ago, I heard about Javi Guerra and they're like, hey, this kid is an eight, really just like an, an eight. That is what this kid is. And he's coming up through the system. And at 17, I think he might have made his debut even two years ago or something or 18 and already a little bit of buzz. But was that buzz because Valencia were desperately needing a young player to be that guy or was he good enough? And so far, he's been even better than advertised as kind of being like the guy of the future. And I think it's really easy in our brains to say, well, Danny Parejo, I can't believe they would let him go to Villarreal for the way they did. And then to, to look and kind of squint and say, wait a second, is that Danny Parejo? Because Javi <laughs> is doing everything. I mean, he's scoring goals. He's getting forward, defensively really good, good in the air, good on the ball. It's just, it's just a very astute, I don't know what his elite skills are, but he's an all-around really good player. Then... Another former Barcelona Real Madrid youngster, Diego Lopez, also kind of bet on himself and said, hey, I got my learning at La Fabrica. I got my learning in La Masia. So now I'm going to kind of bet on myself. And I think he's only 19 years old for, uh, and he's starting on the left wing for Valencia. So Valencia, I mean, I know they're ninth, but it's kind of paying off the fact that they're <laughs> paying off. You get what I'm saying, that they, yeah. they had to do this if they're going to stay up. And, and it's worked out for them because their young players are, are, are really good. Yeah, people, Barach has done a job that I don't think many people expected. I mean, he didn't really have a kind of managerial track, track record of somebody that could could take on this Valencia job and inspire them to this, but they look like a solid side. They look like a coherent, well-managed side. I mean, you mentioned Aviguera, the kind of tandem there with uh, Pepelu, who's been playing that kind of deeper pivot role. He was, he was one of those players that was rumoured when he was kind of 17, 18 for a really big move. Everyone was kind of looking at him and never quite happened. He stayed at Levante for years and years, then moved across to their cross-town rivals. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Valencia try and look at selling him in the near future because he's been brilliant. Javi Guerra, he has a maturity about him. But he, ha- he has that 
big moment in him and it's kind of a it's a it's a rare quality it's a quality you can't really teach but he does have it in him he scored a couple of key late goals for Valencia he doesn't mind the responsibility he's been thrown in there and every time he's been thrown in there every time he's been asked to do it a little bit more he's come up with it and he's come up with that quality he can go past the player he's nice touch decent enough pass he's he's maybe not necessarily kind of the the generic wonder kid in the sense that he has this one skill like Lamine Mal who just kind of seems to create danger with every touch or or a Gavi who is technically gifted but also an absolute monster in midfield Javi Guerra he's kind of goes about things quite quietly in a sense but everything he does he does very well and and he kind of pops up in those moments and you all of a sudden he's in the box scoring a winner in the 90th minute and I think he's he's a real real talent and Valencia kind of in a similar sense to Barcelona because of the finances they've had to throw these youngsters in they've had to look to these youngsters to produce things that no youngster should really be asked to do frankly but Javi Guedes taken on that responsibility it's sink or swim at Valencia and he is one of the players that really is swimming above kind of his level. You know, he reminds me of he reminds me of Rakitic. Is who he reminds me of. Just it's a great, great comparison. Kind of what he is. Like, is he? If you need him to be farther forward, he will. But I, I think just he's so industrial, and you know, it just again, he's a master of none. But he's just a really, really good all-around midfielder with no discernible weaknesses, other than at this point, inexperience, I guess, and you don't want to burn a player like that out, but Valencia is not worried about European football, so give him a lot of time. And I'll, I'll even go so far, it's still early days, and I, it wouldn't seem that insane because he's young, but if Barcelona are in a, a position where they do have to sell one of the best midfielders in the world and Frankie Young for $100 million just to make it all work, you could do a lot worse than bringing in Javi Guerra and a high-level defensive midfielder for the future and kind of say, Hey, all right, well then Javi Guerra, like that's, that's your role. Like we're going to give you the Frankie young thing behind Gabi and Pedri. But yeah, that th- those are conversations for, for, for a different time. I'll ask you as we kind of not even wrap it up or we're slowing down here, who else, if I haven't mentioned anybody, I'll give you a second to, to kind of think about it as I'm asking the question, who else has impressed you so far this season? Because I think there are teams like Atletico, uh, athletic club rather where Inaki Williams is finally putting in some goals, but, Again, that's not a new name. And Nico Williams, if anything, his brother, isn't really setting the world on fire this season. But Atletico, Athletic Club, rather, as a unit, have been better and are getting results. And we'll say better than the starts they've had in recent seasons where it always they're a bit sluggish until like January. Then they get just enough points to finish somewhere between, what, 7th and 11th. <laughs> they always do. That's what Athletic Club does. They're better than anyone else at doing it. And, but yet there's not like a, a, a name that's popped out. It's just kind of the names you always know at the, at the Athletic Club. Uh, and then around, yeah, I mean, the rest of Real Sociedad, not really surprising you. Real Betis, I mean, again, fine, right? Like, they're up there, but they're not. Nobody's really, other than Isco, I guess, you're worried that he wasn't anybody. But he's not Isco, but he's still somebody. <laughs> I guess we would say that. But, yeah, who else has impressed you so far this year? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, there's a, there's a few. I think there's there's a couple of names that not necessarily have been very impressive this season, but I think will come very good. One of them is Jorge Cuenca, who former Barcelona uh, academy product. I think he's dropped out of the team since Pacheta took over at Villarreal, but he was starting for Kike Setien and doing reasonably well. I think his lack of involvement in recent weeks is more to do with the fact that it's, it's political and Raul Albiol is kind of the the master of the defence there. And then there's others like Loic Bade, who I think won't get the headlines and, again, was kind of one of those tips as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old to be really big. Sergio Ramos is beside him, so Sergio Ramos attracts all the attention and basically nobody exists outside the aura of Sergio Ramos. But Loic Bade is going to be really, really good for Sevilla this season, I think, and I think he could propel himself back into another big move. If you're looking at kind of real youngsters, I mean... Alberto Molero, another one probably familiar to, to some of your listeners. Las Palmas, he's been injured for the first kind of section of the season, but when he comes back, I think he'll give them a creative spark that they've been 
wanting sometimes to go alongside Jonathan Vieira just to give yourself that extra passer so it's not all on one person to make that pass. And uh, and yeah, the surprise one for me, the one that I knew very little about was Asane Jao, who's who's come on for Betty's 18, 19-year-old. Didn't know much about him, but scored a couple of goals already. And he's, he's basically barely played, I think, three, four games in terms of actual minutes uh, played. And Manuel Pellegrini, who's he's not necessarily someone I associate as a real manager for bringing through the youth. But every year or year or two, one pops up that's really good. And Asani Jao, he's quick. He's kind of, he doesn't, he looks quite modest in the way he plays. He doesn't look like one of those kind of tricky wingers or somebody that really backs themselves. But he, he's languidly very good on the ball. And he goes past players without kind of thinking too much about it. There's there's a clip of him, I think, Cruyff turning someone through the legs as well. And it, yeah, he looks like a real talent. Somebody who's, who's now in the Spain squad. He he could be a really interesting player, I think, for Betis, who are they have well, they've got Ezabde, obviously, they've got Luis Enrique, the Brazilian. There's those two kind of competing for those wide spots, but Asani Jao is gonna is gonna push them and he's gonna make one of them really good, or he's gonna make himself a hole in the side. And and finally the last kind of young player that I'll mention that maybe will come good as well. We've seen kind of glimpses of him. Samuel Omorodion, who signed for Atleti from Granada. After one game, he scored against Atleti, and Atleti paid about six million for him a week later. So he's on loan at Alaves. He scored once or twice. He's very raw, um, big physical guy, very quick, and really goes after the ball. But he's he's an interesting one to watch as well. Yeah, Zhao has two goals in two games for Real Betis so far, and yeah, kind of unheralded was from from Senegal. Badajoz for a while for his his youth stuff, and then Real Betis and played for their B team last season, and it just turned eighteen by the way in September, so still very very much of, of unknown. So last little question here, so I I, I would title this segment when you say biggest surprise of the Liga, these are the negative ones here. Sevilla, you already kind of mentioned some of these clubs too. Sevilla, Diego Alonso replacing Mendilibar over this little break here. They're in fourteenth place, but they're tied with four teams with eight points. Two points clear of the relegation zone. This is the first coaching job for Diego Alonso outside of Central or South America. His latest job was in charge of Uruguay, but he did play for Valencia, Atleti, and a few other clubs and does know Spain rather well. Then you have Villarreal, one defeat away from their worst start ever after 10 games, 16th place, eight points, just two points clear of the relegation zone. And then Celta de Vigo, six points in the relegation zone. And I thought their squad looked on paper way more talented than this, but it is who, yeah, it is this who Celtic is. I don't know, regardless of any boost from Rafa Benitez, it's not really working because they played well against Barcelona and they looked better than this. And to me, every time I watch them, it seems like they look better than this. But then I look and, oh, wait, they don't have any results. They have six points in the relegation zone. And I think when it comes to these three in particular, Sevilla, Villarreal, Celta, it's always this reminder for me in the Liga that just because it feels like in recent memory and our memories we get stuck from season to season just because it feels like a team has been there forever. Doesn't mean that a team is going to be guaranteed to be there forever. So there is really nothing stopping Sevilla, Villarreal and Celta from being relegated. Like there is nothing from stopping a giant from, from really falling. Well, other than again, you're talking about Barcelona, Real Madrid athletic club would be major, major news. Obviously they never get relegated in almost a hundred years. And then Atletico Madrid too. You'd feel like those are completely untouchable financially, but everyone else financially, you look at those budget sheets and you're like, there's actually not much celebrating uh, separating Las Palmas from Villarreal or Celta rather in spending. Like it's, they're so close to each other that if you don't play well enough, you're going down. It doesn't matter if you belong there or not. I mean, Deportiva La Coruña shows you what mismanagement can look like. Yeah. As, as those teams kind of try and cover the losses from COVID, basically you've seen yeah. a real kind of cutback from the likes of Betty Sevilla um, even Celta themselves and I'll, I'll kind of rank them. Sevilla I expected to be a bit of a mess anyway not quite this much of a mess because you just you it's hard to separate the paper and the the teams on that na- on that sheet and be like right okay yeah they're going to finish 15th or or whatever I don't think they'll finish 15th I think they'll probably still be that latter end of the European race but but yeah they're League. They won Europa League. I mean, what are we doing? How is that possible? It's it's 
only explicable Sevilla they have the same rules apply to them in the Europa League as applies to Real Madrid as to when they look a little bit rubbish they're probably going to come and win it because because <laughs> there's just nothing separating them from the Europa League but but yeah I think they'll be to the latter end I mean Victor Orta came in and I think it was May June Monchi left the president there has been running a leaky ship for some time so Diego Alonso's got a tough job on his hands and if he manages to qualify from them for Europe. I think that's a good job for them. Celta, the middling side there, I thought that it was either going to go really well for Rafa Benitez or really badly. And he's very close to ending it with a really badly mark. I mean, yeah. he's he spoke a lot before the season started. Was, we're going to play progressive football. We're going to play out from the back. This was Rafa Benitez 2.0, essentially, where he's trying to rebrand himself. And it's, it's just not working. And ultimately, Iago Aspas has been sustaining them for many years, and when he doesn't sustain them, this is what happens, essentially. And so he needs to come up with something fast. And Villarreal were the one that shocked me. I thought Villarreal, I thought they were going to do a little bit more in the transfer market, and I know that they lost players. They lost big players. They lost Pau Torres, Sam Chiquete, Nico Jackson, who were three stalwarts of their team last season. But I thought that they were going to do better. Ultimately, it's not a healthy dressing room there. I mean, Kike Setien was sacked, essentially, because of the dressing room. He didn't get on with them and that was partly him too but now you look at Pachetta's coming and Pachetta even if he isn't a name brand there's no way they should be doing this badly under him either and so you at that point you start to kind of look at the players and say well something's clearly not going right here for you guys as well and uh and yeah I thought they left themselves a little bit short in terms of kind of goals or maybe final third threat but they've got brilliant team I expected them to be challenging for the top four this season and I think if uh, my bet is that if, if Iraola gets sacked before the next international break and Pachetta's still in the job and not doing very well, then Iraola will be the Villarreal manager by Christmas. Well, I think the lesson we've learned here, Rory, is for Kool-Aid especially, if it feels like Barcelona is always 90 minutes away from complete implosion, if you actually <laughs> spend 90 minutes with any other team in the Liga, all teams in the Liga are 90 minutes away from absolute implosion, and all teams in the Liga have these fatal flaws that are going to keep them from success, except for Real Madrid in the Champions League and Sevilla in the Europa League. And those are the only two places where Real Madrid <laughs> really, really have any confidence. Two certainties in life, and the rest is all <laughs> unpredictable. Complete nonsense. But I had a certainty that you were going to come on, give us the best stuff that we could get around the Liga Murray, and you've certainly delivered. So where can people find... Obviously, find you, Twitter. We know that down in the comments below. But yeah, what, what are you working on right now? What are you brewing? And and where can people find those projects? Yeah, Football Espana is kind of the main one where you'll find a lot of my day-to-day work. But I also did a, an interview piece with Javier Aguirre and Graham Lasso recently for, for Mallorca. And you'll find kind of more of the projects there. And then La Liga Lowdown, still doing podcasts and articles for them as well. So those are my... My two main uh, kind of outlets for content, but uh, no doubt I'll find some more for the end of the season too. Great. Again, that's down in the show notes below. Follow along with him for all the league stuff. And again, always remember Cool Age. It, the world is much greater than just FC Barcelona. There's a lot going on out there. <laughs> so that, I hope, was a primer of what we've seen two months in the Liga. So again, word of Barlow for him. And then on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at the Barcelona Pod for us. Patreon, close Facebook group. And then as I always remind you, a good rating on the podcast app, subscribing to the YouTube channel. That's the biggest help that you can give me and the channel. So if you're coming here from a different place, from even Rory stuff, or you're still with us from the purest stuff that we've done for the last few weeks with, with him, and he's been a big help. So just subscribe to everybody, follow along with everybody, and again, get that Spanish football in English content a moving. Most importantly, though, thanks so much for listening to the show. Next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, bye.